0: Well, God is good all the time. I saw that on a billboard the other day. You know, I, I saw it on a, a, somebody's marquee. And I said, God is good in about space. He says, all the time. I thought, yep, all the time. Even when we're not sure. Well, I'm not sure if this is good. I heard somebody say the other day that uh, if, if God's the author and the finisher and things are not going well, then just know it's not the end. <laughs> because God is good all the time, and he finishes what he begins. And he's going to begin a good, he has begun a good work, and he will finish what he starts. Okay, so this morning I am, i got a, just some thoughts I'm going to share with you. I know last week I I, I said I was finishing, and I, th- I guess I did, but I went a little different direction this week, but it's still on identity. I guess every single week when we bring the word, we're talking to us. We're bringing the word to let us know who we are in Christ. This is who we are. God is. Is a God that calls us to higher place, and uh, I was reading in in Kings, First Kings, First Kings, eighteen and nineteen, and I'm going to kind of go from there. And I actually, I think I'm reading out of the uh, oh golly, it's the NLT. So I'm gonna when we get there, I'm going to kind of be reading some verses there, starting in probably verse twenty two, I think it is. But let me just start here, I'm talking about Elijah, looking at the life of Elijah. Now, you know Elijah was a little bit like a flamethrower for God. You know, when Elijah spoke, things happened. I mean, in the rec- in the stories that we read, as a matter of fact, there were things that happened, and he did so many different miracles. Let me just name a few. Uh, he he shut. He basically God told him that he could shut down heaven, and there would be no rain. Tell the, tell Ahab that there will be no no rain until I say. And I'm thinking, you know, it's like, you can say there'll be no rain. Well, yeah, there's no clouds. But he said, and there won't be any rain until I say. I'm thinking, that's pretty bold. But the Lord told him to do that, and so he does. So there was no rain for three years, for over three years. And, uh, and then, of course, during that time, Elijah goes uh, uh, down by a brook, and a raven takes care of him. God provides a raven to take care of him. And then, after the brook begins to dry out, dry up, and things start to, you know, get a little tough there. God says, now go on into Zarephath, and there's a widow there that will, I will have her take care of you. And so she began, you know, and now this widow had a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal, a little bit of whatever it was, flour, whatever it is, uh, whatever they had at that time. But, and basically, when he shows up, and he says, hey, can you make me something to eat? Because the Lord said, yeah, she's going to take care of you, shows up. And you know, she says, well, if this is all I've got left. He says, well, that's okay. Just go ahead and make me something to eat first, you know. And we look at that and thinking, dude, come on, man. The, the ladies said that I'm just going to make a meal, and my my son and I are going to eat it and die. And Elijah says, "That ah, got a better idea. Why don't you make me something first? And he knew he knew that that God was going to multiply, and of course he did, and he caused that oil to just continue to flow day after day. The meal never ran out. There was always enough for years. Uh, who knows how long it lasted. It doesn't really say, but it says the Lord took care of her and her son. That was another miracle. And then, of course, uh, the one we'll, probably, we'll get into this morning, the main one we'll talk about is the fire from heaven where, where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal. And, you know, Israel was... You know, if you take and you read the Bible from the beginning or you just kind of do a, a an Old Testament survey, the, the problem that, that God had to continually deal with was the unfaithfulness of his people. They were unfaithful. They would, as, as long as God was giving them water from a rock, as long as he was giving them manna from heaven... And as long as he was giving them, you know, a cloud, you know, to keep them cool and, and a fire to keep them warm at night, as long as he was doing all the things that they wanted, they were happy campers. But as soon as they go, we're tired of manna or whatever it was. You know, we could have died in, in Egypt and it would have been better there. There were graves there. Man, it was a continual struggle with, with the people that God was was had called out of Egypt, his people, the, the Israelites. And so here's Elijah Years later, I mean, years later, and he is, uh, he's the prophet, that the standing prophet, one of them. He thinks he's the only one. Actually, Obadiah was there at that time, but they had killed, I mean, these kings, these former kings of Israel, they had ke- killed all of the prophets over the years. You know, don't like what they say? Off with his head, or whatever they did to him. And so Elijah is here in this place, and he is going to, uh, he's basically calling the people to repentance. Let me just move, move forward with this here. And we'll look at uh, uh, 1 Kings 18, beginning in verse 22. Now, let me just give you just a little bit of run and go with this. Um, Ahab is mad. He doesn't like uh, Elijah because Elijah's cut off the rain. He sees that there's no rain. Elijah's a troubler. He's a troublemaker. And he was looking for him. He was out looking around for him. He couldn't find him because God was protecting and hiding him. Well, he shows up, and God says, go talk to Ahab. And it's like, okay. So he goes to talk to Ahab, and he tells him, gather all the people and bring the prophets of Baal. Bring all these false prophets that you've got. And he says, and bring them up to Mount Carmel. And we're going to basically have a conversation. We're going to have a, we're going to settle some things. And so they get there, and they get up on the Mount, up on Mount Carmel. When it says all the people, I don't know if that meant every single one or if it was a good rep, I don't know. It just says the people were there, and the prophets of Baal were there. And Elijah steps out because he is, like I said, he's like a flamethrower for God. He doesn't go, come on, you guys, why can't we just serve God? That's not the kind of guy he was. This guy just told it the way it was, and when he would say the way it was, the people, you liked it or you didn't, and basically, that was Elijah. So Elijah stands before the people, and he says, why the Israelites? The ones that God had called His people, and He says, "Why are you halting? Why are you struggling between this decision? If 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 God is God, then serve God, and if Baal is God, then serve Baal. But stop this messing around with one foot in and one foot out. Oh, God's doing something good. Oh, ba- I'm afraid of I'm afraid of uh, the king. Oh, oh God, I'm afraid of God. Oh, I'm afraid of the king." Get in one place and allow God to do something in your life. Today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the fight of faithfulness, the fight for faithfulness, to be faithful. When everything is going against us, when everything is saying, you know, uh, you just uh, you just don't understand what I'm going through. You're right. And you don't understand what I'm going through, and I don't understand what they or them. Nobody understands what anybody's going through, but this is what I do know. According to Hebrews 11, verse 6, it says that faith is the only way to please God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And faith is not a belief system. Oh, I just believe God is good. Well, that's good. Oh, I just believe that God is all-powerful. That's good. But are we going to order our lives? Are we going to become faithful? In other words, lead our lives according to what God says, even if it flies in the face of culture. Even if it flies in the face of people that we feel like they'll be mad, they'll be upset. I'm look, I'm not trying to make people mad. But here's the deal: they don't really care if it makes me mad. And so either so I'll just go back to so here's Elijah. He's standing in front of these people and he's saying, if God's God, then serve him. And I'm sure they're probably thinking, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what they did. They were so waffly. And then he says, but if Baal's God, then go on and serve him. But today, make a decision. And he says, okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to, there's a challenge, and let me start reading here. So that's kind of the setting of what's going on. So in verse uh, 22, First uh, Kings 18, it says, Elijah says to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who's left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now, Baal was a false god. He was a false god. He was a god that basically was set up by Jezebel and whatever background she came from. I don't think she set it up, but she worshipped Baal and, and the Asheroth pole and all this. It was just ridiculous idolatry with nothing behind it but demonic forces and demonic power. And that's how she was being controlled and controlling others. It says, now bring two bulls. This is Elijah speaking. Bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, and they cut it into pieces and lay it on on uh, on the wood of the altar, but without setting it on fire. He says, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood wood altar, but will not set it on fire either. Then they call. Then they may call in the name of their god, and I will call in the name of my god. And the God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Oh, that's uh, stuff. This, this is like, you know, Fear Factor or something. Man, this is like a game show. So they just sit back. and like, yeah. And the prophets of Baal, you know, I don't know what they were thinking. They were probably thinking, well, I, 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 there's 450 of us, one of him, whatever. And he says to the to prophets of Baal, you go first. For there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls. Prepare it. Uh, so you can call on the name of your God, but remember, don't set it on fire. Verse 26, so they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar, and then they called the name on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us! But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. About noontime, noontime Elijah begins mocking them. Hey, you're going to have to shout a little louder, uh, he scoffed. For surely he is a God. Perhaps he's daydreaming or relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom. He says, or maybe he is on a trip or asleep and he needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder, following their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out of them. It's like, you know what? Well, This isn't making this God happy. He's not responding. Whatever it was, they were just... It says that they raved on all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no re- reply, no response. Verse 30 says, then Elijah calls to the people, come over here, because I'm sure the people were watching the show over at the other altar. I'm sure they were standing around going, go, 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 because they just wanted to show. They just were excited about the, the theatrics, the possibility that they were going to see something they'd never seen, and they didn't really care. They didn't care where it came from, if it came from a false God or if it came from God Almighty because they were so faithless. They had become so faithless. So he tells them, come over here. Hey, come over here. All the cra- They crowded around him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord the, The Lord had been torn down, that had been torn down. You know what that says to me? It says that nobody had been making sacrifices to God. Now, in this time, that's what God required. Nobody was making sacrifices. Nobody was obeying God. Nobody cared what God thought. It says Elijah took and he he got 12 stones, one each representing the, the, uh, the tribes of Israel, and he placed them around the altar. He rebuilt the altar, reminding them Because remember what an altar is. It's a thing that you point at and you remember. You remember this is why 12 stones It represented what God had started with. It represented what God did in the very beginning. He chose them. Verse 31, he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold... About three gallons. He piled the piled wood on the altar. He cut the bull into pieces and he laid the pieces on the wood. And then he says, "Fill up some jugs of water. Come, oh yeah, bring it over here now." Keep in mind, this was during a drought. Okay, it had been a drought for three and a half years. There was not a lot of water around. As a matter of fact, Elijah left the brook Cherith, or whatever you pronounce it, Cherith, because. It was drying up. Water was not real plentiful at this time, I wouldn't think. That's what the whole thing was about. That's why Ahab hated Elijah, because there was no rain. And so whatever they might, and it even says, and no dew, if you go back and read in, in chapter 17 of this same book. No dew, no rain. It's going to be dry as dust. Not going to have any moisture for three and so Elijah's there, he builds the altar, and he says, now, get some water and pour water on the altar. It's like, you know, this is, this is like, what are, you, what are you doing? I don't think they cared about that. They were just ready for the show. So they pour the water all over the altar and it falls down around the wood and it fills up. He says, do it again. So they bring it and they do it again. He says, do it again, three times. And so they do it again. And I heard a guy say one time that Elijah's mentality was the wetter, the better, the wetter, the better. The thing is, is sometimes when our lives get wet, as it were, we're not, we can't, we were not able, I can't blaze, I can't do, because I'm just my, all my dreams are dampened. Everything in my life is dampened. But you know what? Elijah didn't really care, because he wasn't depending on what he had inside of him. He was depending on the God of heaven, the God of heaven. And so they poured it on there, and it basically filled up even the trench that they had built around this. Now, Elijah was telling everybody this, that God is going to prove his power to you today. He's going to show that he is the one true and the only mighty uh, living God. Now, here's the thing. We might be looking at this as a story that happened thousands of years ago, but I want you to know that same God is here today. This is not a God that used to be. This is not a God of the past. This is not a God that that would like to do something. But listen, I'm old. (laughs) You know, I got this long old God beard here. And I, I used to do those things. And God's not limping around. God's the same as he was yesterday, today, and forever. Same God. But what was he looking for? He was looking for faithfulness. It's a fight. What we're in the midst of right now, church, is a fight for faithfulness, to be faithful when everybody's saying nobody cares. You can do that if you want to, but nobody cares. Nothing matters. Like, hey, you know what? Let's just live our lives and die and get on out of here because nothing matters. I want you to know that's not true. Our lives matter. And what God is doing matters. And if the enemy can take your faith, if he can take your faithfulness, and, and pull it away from you, you know what? God will still love you. God will still, he'll still long for you. He'll still reach out to you. But you know something? We take ourselves out of that place where God wants to do something in our lives. Let's read on. Let's read on. So basically, verse 36, it says, and at the usual time for the offering, evening sacrifices, Elijah, the prophet, walked up to the altar, and he prayed, Oh God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove to them that I have done all this at your command. This is not when I'm with, I'm figuring out, yeah, I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna have God step in and finish the God had instructed him to do things just the way he had done it, obviously. He says, oh Lord, answer me, answer me so that these people will know that you O Lord, are the God, and that you have brought them back to yourself. That's what this was all about. God wanted to bring people back to himself. That's what it's all about today. God wants to bring people to himself. That's what it's all about. It's all about with the enemy, it's all about separating and dividing and, 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 and dampening and and drenching and and just drowning uh everybody's uh, that calls himself a christian drowning their hopes drowning their dreams but god is calling his church to fight for faithfulness fight for faithfulness Verse 38, it says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it even licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their face before the Lord and cried out, oh, Lord, he is God. Yes, he is God. For a minute anyway. He is for a minute anyway, because he did, wow, what a great show. Wow. Look what you did, God. That's, that's what happens here. Because if you continue reading forward, the people just went back to where they were. Maybe not in a second, but it didn't. It didn't because here's the thing. Faithfulness is a fight. It's a fight. It's not just something that happens. Be, well, you know, you're, you're either born with it or you're not. That's not true. That is not true. Faithfulness is a decision. It's a fight. It's something that we decide Come heck or high water. Come come easy or come hard. Whether, whether it costs me something or whether it doesn't. Faithfulness is a fight. And that's what God is not only calling us to. That's what he is looking for. That's what he's looking for. Verse 40. It says, then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seize them all and Elijah took them down to the Kishon uh, Kishon uh, Valley and killed them all there. What a mean guy! Well, let's let's make a spiritual a correlation to this. God wants to take all the things out of our lives that are drawing us away, that are saying, "I am more powerful than your God. I am the one that has the power." That's what these prophets of Baal were. They were people that were speaking. This is what's going to happen if. This is what's going to happen when. Oh, king, this is, they were just liars. But the thing is, is the enemy was working. When I say the enemy, I mean the spiritual. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that spiritual wickedness will cause things to line up so that false prophets appear to be right and they might be right for a minute but in the end they lead many many people astray when I say false prophets you might go, well there's no false prophets today really really the news internet oh, man I was talking to somebody the other day and they were telling me that they came across that well, I looked it up online I said really you looked it up online and you believe what you read Honestly, and I don't mean to be critical on that because I went through a phase where I was at the same place. I'm not against the internet, but here's what I am. I'm a person that says, you know what? I'm going to have to go to God's word. And if, Well, what if it's not in God's word? Then I'm just going to have to trust the Lord to show me. Because just be, you can find anything you want to live a, a life that God says that's not faithful. Well, but the world's changed today. It's different today. It's not. It's just more developed along the lines of of serving something that God is not in agreement with, he's not in favor of. And so here's Elijah. The faith and the boldness and the courage and the confidence that we see in Elijah is undeniable. It's undeniable. I mean, here he is, he's sitting over there laughing at these guys, mocking them, making fun, because you know what? He knew in his heart he was hearing God. God was telling him, yeah, just go ahead and sit down over here and relax, get in the shade, because this is going to take a while. And he's laughing at him. His confidence was undeniable. We don't look at Elijah and go, because here's what we might be thinking. Well, if I was Elijah, I'd be going, well, I don't know. You know, what happens if, what happens if, and not even if something happens with them, what happens when when it's my turn at bat? What happens, you know what, Elijah didn't, it wasn't even a question. He knew because God was speaking to him. Speaking to him. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He was hearing God's word. He was hearing God's word. He was hearing God speak right to him. You want to know how to be faithful? First of all, you have to know what the word of God says. You got to know. And you know, I believe God does speak to us specific things for our life and our journey. But I don't think he ever speaks things to us that go against what God, what his written word says, not for a second. And so, you know, to look at his boldness and, and all the things that are going on, it's undeniable. Elijah came to fight. He came to settle a score. He came, you know what, I can imagine him being out there for that three and a half years, you know, by the brook and maybe just out there and by himself, living by himself and the ravens feeding him and all these things are going on. And I imagine he was probably thinking uh, all kinds of thoughts and I wish this was over. Because you know what? He wasn't getting any rain either. He was just drinking from this brook that was slowly drying up himself. He was getting food. But I don't think it was like easy on him. I think he went through the same thing that everybody else went through, but he had the hand of God on his life assuring him that you'll come through this. You will come through this. But now let's look at 1 Kings chapter 19 for a second. We see another, this is just, Like the next day, you can take time to read the rest of that chapter. Actually, let me tell you what happens between there and here. And so um, he goes up. After this happens, Elijah goes up onto the mountain after, the you know, kills the prophets of Baal and the fire comes and consumes the altar. And I'll bet you Ahab was standing there going along with everybody else, mouth hanging open like, what just happened? And so Elijah goes up on the mountain, and he, he sits down, and he puts his head between his, his knees, and he begins to pray. And you, you've probably heard this story, so I'll just make it quick. He prays, and he tells his servant, go out and look. What do you see? I don't see anything. Well, go out and look again. Look over the sea. I don't see anything. One, two, three, four, five, I think seven times. And on the seventh time, he says, what do you see? He says, I see a cloud like the size of a man's hand. He says, that's it. What? That's it. Let's get down. And so he goes and tells Ahab, look, you better get off of this mountain. You better get down now because it's going to begin to rain. Oh, wait a minute. It's been three, three and a half years. And you're telling me now that that cloud over there is, you know what Ahab did? He took off like a bullet, just like Elijah did, just like the people did, because they knew they had just seen the power of God. They had just seen God in action. And so basically they take off, they get down to the bottom of the hill. Well, let's pick it up here in verse 2 of 1 of, of Kings, it says, so Jezebel, okay, Ahab, actually verse one, I didn't write it down, but Ahab gets home and he goes and he tells he tells honey Honeybear, Jezebel, all the things that happened. We were there, he tells the whole story, and Jezebel's not going, oh my gosh, oh, we have to repent. I, Jezebel, you've got to be kidding me. She says, so they killed all of my prophets, all 450 of them. And fire came, yep, they couldn't do anything. Okay, and instead of her being maybe torn in her heart or or convicted, this is what she says. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, may the gods strike, the gods, yeah, little G, may the gods strike me down, even kill me if by this same time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you've killed them. That's no shocker. This woman was evil to the core. But the shocker is the first part of the next verse. That's the shocker. Elijah, remember we were talking about how bold and how, you know, how faithful and how excited and how confident he was? Now, here we are. Verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid, so he fled for his life. I know women like that. They can just say something, <laughs> you know. I'm j- I'm joking. I'm joking. And I'm not talking about my wife. But there was something inside of her that caused him to be fearful, terrified. I don't really know. But the thing was, it says, he ran for his life. He ran. He took off. He just came off of this mountain with this great, great thing that he had seen God do. God used him to to speak it out and to, to build the altar and to call the people to repentance and the fire of God and killing all those prophets of Baal, saying, you're not listening to these voices anymore. But a voice rose up and threatened him. And instead of him stepping back, now listen, I'm not saying I'd have done this. I don't know. I'm just saying. He runs. He's terrified. And I'm sure you've heard messages on this before, why he ran. He was tired. He was exhausted. I'm sure of that. He was depressed. He was probably overwhelmed. I'm sure of that. I'm sure of all that stuff. I'm sure of all that. It says he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, uh, and he left his servant there, And then he went alone into the wilderness traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. And what happened from yesterday to this day? What happened? Something changed. Every single one of us have had this. Joe and I were talking about this last week, that we go through some great things. God does some amazing things in our life. And through our lives, we have a a great victory. We see a victory. And the next morning we get up and there's a heaviness on us. What happens? No, it's just, it's, it's a spirit. It's a spirit that says, it doesn't matter today. This is a new day. Now I got to fight another fight today. Got to go through more today. It says, and he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down into a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life for I am no better than the ancestors who have already died. Now, obviously, Let me just say this. Faithfulness faithfulness is not easy. It's not easy. There's not a person in this room you can go, well, it's easy for them. Well, you can say that. But everybody has their own struggle. Everybody has their own battle. Everybody does. And faithfulness is a choice every single day. Faithfulness. And you might say, well, faithfulness to what? Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness in, in what area? Well, there's all kinds of areas. But to put God first and to hear God and to obey God, and to trust God no matter what. No matter what. So faithfulness is not easy. It can be very, it's very difficult. It's challenging. And that's what we're talking about today, the fight. Fighting for faithfulness. Fighting, see, I can't fight for your, I can pray for you, but I can't fight for your faithfulness in the sense of me chasing you around or you chasing me around. Faithfulness is something that we have inside of us. And let me say this, my faithfulness, affects other people, because they look at my life. Your faithfulness affects other people. They look at your life, and they're going, and that inspires me, or my unfaithfulness. They look at my life, and they go, what's the point? That's Pastor Tom. That's my dad. That's whoever. We're a lot of things in a lot of people's life. The fight for faithfulness is not simply for us. It's For those around us as well. For those around us. And Elijah says, I'm done. I'm tired. The fight for faithfulness. The temptation to quit. To just walk away. Everybody's had it. I've had it. I've had the temptation to quit. Really? You? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Did I say yes? Yes. Just like you. Every single one of us have had the temptation to quit whatever something that we're going through. And the thing is, is for me to stand up here and to imply that somehow, oh, I never struggle. Sorry, but I struggle just like you. We all struggle. But God is faithful. There's a scripture, I didn't write it down, but scripture in, in Psalms, and it says, to the faithful, he shows him, talking about God, to the faithful, he shows himself to be faithful. Faithful. And he goes on to different things. You know, he, sh- he basically shows himself to be what we show ourselves to him to be. And so when we live faithful, when we live a faith-filled life, a life of faithfulness in our, in our marriage, in our, to our kids, uh, to, to, to our family, to, to whatever, when, to God, you know what God does? He shows himself faithful back to us. Let me get on through this. There's so much stuff here. Uh, so many things that we could we could talk about faith right now. Really, faith is is what's driving Elijah. He gets up and he he runs on. Let's pick it up in verse eight. Uh, so he says he he got up. Well, basically the the, the uh, he got up. He ate and drank because an angel provided some food for him, some water and some food. And it says he ate and he drank the food given to him, and it gave him enough strength to travel for forty days and forty nights to Mount Sinai. What is unique about Mount Sinai? That's where Moses was when God gave him. The Ten Commandments. Why did he travel? It was like 100 miles. Why did he travel that far? Well, he probably wanted to get far enough away. The other thing was maybe he was thinking, maybe God will give us a fresh start because that's where it all started. That's where God gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. I'm having no luck with them. We're not, man, they're just killing anybody that stands up and speaks faithfully for you. I don't know what he was thinking, but there's all kinds of things probably that were going on in his mind. So he goes to Sinai and he gets there and it says he goes up and he gets into a cave and he goes to sleep. He was probably exhausted. It took him 40 days to get there. So he's in this cave and he's asleep. And let's read. Verse 9. It says, There he came to a cave and he spent, uh, he spent all night. And, and but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And Elijah says, well, I was just passing through. Not what he says. Elijah talks out of his frustration. He talks out of his hurt. He talks out of his confusion. He talks out of what was going on. He says, I have zealously served the Lord God. It's almost like, who are you talking to? I'm right here. I have zealously served the Lord God, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. What are you doing here, Elijah? He asks him again. What are you doing here? All Elijah's doing is focusing on the bad, focusing on those that are against him, focusing on the failures and all the stuff that took place. But God asks him again, what are you doing here? And then eventually he asks him or he tells him to go stand outside. Go stand outside. And he says, I'm going to talk to you. So he goes out there, and he stands there. And remember, isn't that kind of what God told Moses? Go outside and you know, stand behind the cleft of the rock, and, and I'm going to pass by. And there was this earthquake, all these things. Well, he tells Elijah, go stand at the front of the mountain. And Elijah's thinking, oh, it's on like Donkey Kong now. man. this is, I don't know what he's thinking, but I'm thinking he goes out, and it's like, God's going to speak to me maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But so he goes out there, and he says, there's this wind, and it's so strong that it tears the rocks from the mountain. And he's standing there, probably holding on for a dear life. And then after the wind, he says, an earthquake. And this earthquake, but after each one of these things, he says, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then there's this earthquake, and it shakes the whole earth. And he says, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And he says, and then there was this fire, this consuming fire. And he says, and it after the fire was over, God was not in the fire. But, he says, <coughs> but then there was a still, small voice. And the Lord says, in this still, small voice Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And it implies a couple of things. And I want you to take these this morning as we finish. What are you doing here implies, Elijah? Is this where you're supposed to be? Is this where you're supposed to be? Because Elijah was not where he was supposed to be. He ran. He took off. It implies that he's not doing what God had called him to do. Because Elijah was not doing what God called him to do. It implies that he's not being who God called him to be. Because Elijah's not being who God called him to be. And because he wasn't where he was supposed to be, doing what God called him to do and being who God called him to be, he forgot who he was. I want you to know today, I meet people and you meet people. And after we can talk for a while, things begin to come out, even with me. When I find myself not where I'm supposed to be, and I'm not just talking about here in Yuma. I'm talking about maybe maybe in the morning where I'm supposed to be. And You know, I wrote a couple of things down here. Let me share these quickly with you. David was, was supposed to be at war with his men, and he stayed home. And let me tell you what happened. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, which started a chain reaction of bad things. He kills her husband. Her husband was a faithful man to, to King David. As a matter of fact, he calls him home. I won't go into that whole story. But he ends up killing him. And he ends up lying and all these things. It was a progression that started because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Doing what he was supposed to do. Being who he was supposed to be. He forgot who he was and he was thinking, give me the binoculars. And he's looking over there on the roof at Uriah's house where Uriah's wife was taking a bath on the roof. And he began doing things that he wouldn't normally do. Because... He forgot who he was. The same thing happened with Peter. He's warming himself by the fire. He wasn't where he was, where was he supposed to be? I guarantee he wasn't supposed to be standing there warming himself at a distance from the fire. The other guys, they tried to stay close. But Peter's there and then he begins to deny Christ. He denies him three times because he wasn't where he was supposed to be doing what he was supposed to do, being who he was supposed to be he forgot who he was and he thought it was an option just to deny Christ because what are my options? He forgot who he was. And then, of course, Samson, you can take time to read about him on your own. But Samson did the same thing. He was called to be a judge of Israel. And Samson got restless and didn't like the way things were going. Eventually, a couple of times, he just took off against against. His his parents' uh, in instruction and against their better judgment, what don't go, don't go, don't marry, don't do, don't do that, don't go there. He went anyway and ended up finally, eventually, in Gaza, where he meets Jezebel, and he begins to do things that he wouldn't normally do because he was where he wasn't supposed to be, and in all that doing things and being where he wasn't supposed to be, he forgot who he was. You forgot who he was. He was a judge. We have to take inventory of our life. And the thing is, is I can't tell you where you're supposed to be. But God can. But the only way God can speak to us is we have to be willing to listen. We have to be willing to open our heart and say, God, you know, search my life. What is it that you want me, where you want me to be? What do you want me to do? Or what do, you, what do you want me to stop doing? Maybe that's even a, another prayer. But I want you to know today, when we stop being where we're supposed to be, and I know some people are thinking, oh, you're talking about in church. I'm not even talking about in church. Although, I am supposed to be here because we're a body. But I'm not even talking about that in the big picture. I'm talking about I'm supposed to be in relationship with God, in relationship with the Word, in relationship with other people. And if there's something broken, then I need to fix it. That's where I'm supposed to be. That's my position. I'm supposed to be doing what it is that God's called me to do. Loving, forgiving, being merciful, serving, going the second mile. But we forget who we are when we're not where we're supposed to be. We're not doing what we're supposed to do. We just forget who we are. We lose our identity and then we begin to wonder what is wrong. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we think, oh, it's just a new season. Man, that season's over. How quickly did Elijah forget who he was? Man, it was like it seemed like it just in a day. Actually, 40 days, if you look at how long it took him to get to Sinai. This morning, I want to pray that God would help us to maybe back back up and have a big look at what's going on in our life. I do not want the world or circumstances or fears. I don't want to be driven by fear. Elijah was driven by fear. I want to be driven by faith, which will help me to be faithful. Because if I know what God says and I say, I'll do it no matter what, then you know what? Then God always meets us there. He goes before us. He goes behind us. Let's pray.